Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Streaming now on the KDOW app and radio.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Hopefully you are in a safe place somewhere in the country. California seems to be on fire. The sky yesterday was orange, blood red. It got me thinking I should talk about fire, fire insurance, fire effects on the economy, fire effects on tourism. And we'll do a little bit of that. Um, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just trying to be realistic of let's take a look around and see what the ramifications are going to be. Um, first and foremost, let's start with um, the concept of uh, I get that people are dying. And it's never cool to start talking about cost of money cost of fires, cost of insurance, while people sometimes are burnt to death in their homes and not yet brought out. I am sensitive to that. I'm aware of that. And I apologize. Um, But I have some content and I think I need to get through it. California wildfires are going to impact the whole U.S. economy. Let's start with that big concept. California's wildfire season is off to a brutal start. This year ranks as the second most destructive in state's history through the month of August. And we still have very dry months of September, October, and November to go. When I first moved to California 20 plus years ago, I learned that California did not have four seasons. I lived on the East Coast or overseas for most of my life. And most places I lived had winter that brought snow Spring that melted the snow and pulled the flowers out of the ground. Summer that burned those flowers to a crisp and turned the ground dry. Fall that would bring in the wind and the rain and winter that would kill a uh, fall with you know deadly cold ice. And it was a virtuous, beautiful cycle. When I came to California, I learned there's two, two, two seasons, dry season, wet season. There's no spring. There's no fall. It's just two seasons. 
And it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And like walking around yesterday, it was probably the most surreal day I've spent because it looked like L.A. had been nuked. That's what the sky looked like. In every movie that we've ever watched, the sky looks funky when there's a nuclear explosion, right? And now, uh, yesterday, we went from 95 degrees in my city on Tuesday to 60 degrees on Wednesday. That's a weird shift. And now I can see maybe maybe a meteor did hit the Earth. And maybe that's how the dinosaurs died, because it got really, really cold as the ash went up into the sky. I don't know. I don't know enough about that kind of history to really talk about it. I can tell you a friend recently told me that he believes all oil came from dinosaurs. I'm like, really? Did you, did you learn that in elementary school? Really? So I know that there's some brutal memories that we have of our childhood that don't necessarily turn out real. You know that California fires are going to affect tourism from Big Sur to Santa Cruz, Napa, Sonoma counties. Um, 2018, my in-laws, their home burned down. Now we're two years out of that, and it's been four rough years in a row of wildfires. This is a, a regular thing now. This is a norm. Um, I'm not saying global warming. I'm not going to go there. Uh, I don't want to piss off anyone. I just want to say that it's a norm now. And because of that, we're going to see things change, financially speaking. Let me give you some thoughts on that. Lower home values. California... Cal Fire, which is California's firefighting agency, says about 3 million of the state's 12 million homes are at high risk from wildfires. Now, we also have earthquakes, which a lot of homes are on that earthquake fault, too. Knock on wood, we do not need a very good earthquake right now in California. Um, but being designated by Cal Fire, that 3 million out of the 12 million homes are at risk, high risk, you know what that does? It raises your insurance. That designation alone being thrown on to high risk makes me cringe, makes me beg the insurance agency, please don't call my home high risk. Uh, when designations increase your cost, it increases your default risk. Now, we learned in 2008 something called default risk, where we gave mortgages to a lot of Americans who didn't have the income to support that mortgage. A lot of people, you know, blame the mortgage companies. A lot of people blame the people taking out the mortgages. A lot of people blame the real estate agents. But the reality is our federal government wanted all Americans to own a home. It's kind of a retirement plan. It's one of those things that we learned in childhood. So the designation hurts enormously. More defaults, damaged banks. We saw that with the homeowners in 2008, right? We saw a financial crisis because of defaults. Mortgage holders in markets where mortgages are sold. Securities based on mortgages, um, all at risk because higher insurance costs. After 2018, insurance companies said, you know what? We don't really want to be in the fire insurance business because we lost a lot of money. So we're either going to raise rates, and California's insurance commissioner said, no, you're not going to raise rates. Putting them in a problem situation. A record number of owners had to turn to pricey policies from the state's insurer of last resort. Expensive insurance depresses home values. When you go to look at a home, if you talk to someone like Tony Mendez from BayAreaLoanSource.com, when he's putting together your mortgage estimate, he goes, do you want me to ins include insurance and taxes? So insurance is built into a lot of people's mortgages, and they're, every month, 
I think it's fair that you could say, I'm going to be able to afford $3,000 to my home. But if the mortgage insurance goes up, it's going to be $3,200 or $3,100. And you get to a point where you can't pay it, viably speaking. Fire-related business disruptions um, cause a big drop in tourism. California, when I was growing up on the East Coast and overseas, I'd watch things like Wheel of Fortune. And the winner would say, I want it. Or Pat Sajak would go, you've won a trip to lovely San Diego. Now we're like, no, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. San Diego's on fire. Um, So when people don't want to come to California to see San Diego, to see San Francisco, to see Los Angeles, when they go, I don't know, I went there last year and it was all smoky. They're not coming back. Fire-related business disruptions cause a drop in tourism. It slashes sales and lodging tax revenue. California has got a 10% sales tax. We love for people to come from out of state. We love for you to spend money. You help finance our education, our wildfires. You help finance a lot of good things. I should say wildfire prevention. But we're losing lodging tax. And again, this is all during the time of COVID. Talking about a one-two punch. So essentially, with higher insurance costs, with higher designations of being a fire, a 25% chance your home is in a fire, high fire area, it creates a very slow systemic crisis that moves in slow motion and costs a lot of money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. I'm going to do a little bit of focus on, uh, I'm not going to call it a climate catastrophe, but I'm going to call it wildfire season. And 2020 is off to its, uh, we still got three months of this stuff. So half of September, October, November, all ahead of us. So we'll talk about that and more. I'll get some market commentary in there as well. I think this is appropriate. I'm not black. Where the river broke, the bloodwood and the desert oak. Holding wrecks and boiling diesels. Steam and 45 degrees. The time has come to say. Making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So I tip my hat to my new producer, Andrew. I asked him last night, can we get some songs that have fire in them? Under a Blood Red Sky by U2. This is New Year's Day. Sadly, it's not a song about blood red skies because of nuclear war. Sadly, it's not a song about blood red skies because of forest fires in Ireland. It's it's a song that references the Polish solidarity. Um, and there's an element of love mixed into it as well. An underlying affection for a person with political revolution. It doesn't have quite the weight that I want it to. But it does give me a chance to talk about U2, one of the greatest albums of all time, War. It was a college music album released in 1983. This was their first big hit for U2. And they've gone on to be wonderful human beings and raise money for situations like Kyle Wildfires. Um, when they made the video, 
It was freezing temperatures, which is kind of something we would like here. Yesterday, my hometown was 95 degrees. Um, two or three days ago, L.A. was at 120 degrees. Uh, not the desert. L.A. L.A. is a desert. We don't think of it as a desert. We think of it as a media capital of the world of Hollywood with big stars. It was at 120 degrees. The best part about that video, by the way, uh, New Year's Day, is that you actually see everyone in YouTube ride horses. Except for it wasn't the guys from U2. It was a bunch of ladies dressed up as the guys from U2. That's all I have on that. One of the stories that I learned yesterday, I don't want to bring your attention to it, is we have inmates fighting fires. And one of the inmate firefighters recently passed away fighting a fire in Malibu. California's inmate firefighters choose to do the dangerous work. They get paid for it, but not much. They have to pass a fitness test before they can qualify for what are called fire camps. Once they're accepted into the camp, the training they receive, which often lasts as little as three weeks, is significantly less than a three-year apprentice that typically firefighters get. They get three weeks training, and then we send the inmates to the front lines. Um, now, I know you're saying, well, they did crime. They need to go back. They need to pay back to society. Uh, wait till I tell you how much they make. And again, this is not a political commentary. California goes back to the mid-19th century, it turns out, um, with its first let, letting inmates perform labor for the state. Um, in 1852, prisoners slept on deck at night and spent their days building San Quentin, the state's first permanent prison. California road crews made up of inmates who work on highway construction started in 1923. During World War II, California turned to its prisons into they turned prisons into uh, factories. And they moved inmates into temporary forestry camps. So a lot of work relief programs. Um, and it has a long history of our state governors supporting inmate labor. Now, to fight fire as an inmate, you get between $0.08 cents and $0.95 cents an hour. Okay. I know. They're inmates. They're bad people. They shouldn't get full pay of a firefighter. But there's something terribly, terribly wrong with that. Um, inmates in the state of California make office furniture for state employees. They make state license plates. They do prison uniforms. Anything any state institution might be able to use. But eight cents to ninety-five cents to fight what is a growing problem in California, and it's a regular problem in California. So you get an inmate making ninety-five cents. A maximum could make two dollars and fifty-six cents. They get an amazing skill that they can leave prison with at some point and you know, join most fire departments in the country. But they're also fighting fires in super rich areas. So a firefighter recently passed away who was a female inmate, and she could barely hold a chainsaw. And she's helping homes where the average pay is $238,000 a year. Um, the firefighter program is intended to serve as rehabilitation for the inmates. I get it. There's a lot of positives. But yesterday, a reporter at Cron said, look up at the sky. It's strangely beautiful. And yet I wonder, aren't there 95 fire crews right now somewhere in the state doing everything they can to fight fires? Uh, not 95. That's 95 out-of-state groups of firefighters. Our state is fighting it as aggressively as we can. Um. Another problem with all of this is the prisons are overcrowded, so we've been letting prisoners out early because of COVID. 
And suddenly that, that work pool is even smaller of what we can draw off of. The New York Times did an amazing piece on female firefighters that I hope someday gets turned into a movie. Um, firefighters have this just amazing propensity for bravery and doing things that I don't have to do, don't want to do. So after five years, the drought is over in California, but the rainy season that produces a rare super bloom, um, it's not here. So we're waiting for rainy season. And while we are doing it, we're counting on prisoners to literally save our butts from fire. Uh, Check it out. If you get a chance to Google New York Times, the incarcerated women who fight California's wildfires. It's a long read. And uh, I enjoy a good long read because I like to read. Um, But with that said, did you know that? And I throw that out there to you because I know you're like, firefighters make a lot of money. Um, I have a friend who is a firefighter, and he has a home in Tahoe where he spends most of his time when he's not working. So he gave up his home in San Francisco. And uh, let's just put it this way. It's 24-7, 365 now. And Australia's next. I don't know if you remember, but they, they line up right after our wildfire season or right before our wildfire season. And it's nonstop. Um so you do a little methamphetamines, you get caught by the police, and suddenly you're making $2 an hour fighting fires in California. Pretty astonishing in my book. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. The financial cost of wildfires is large. It's at over $50 billion. Um, and what's kind of interesting about that is, and we'll talk about this maybe in the next segment, is the cost of prevention versus the cost of putting out a fire. It's pretty stunning numbers. But again, in a state that already has a lot of social programs and high taxes, uh, we're getting hit by a couple double whammies here, higher healthcare costs. Um, small businesses are being shut down due to COVID. They're not paying their taxes. That hurts the state's budget. The state's budget gets slashed on areas like prevention. Uh, to quote a child, it's a mess out there. Uh, but if you didn't see the pictures yesterday, they're some of the most stunning images that you'll ever see in your life. It literally felt like walking. And, I, and I, I didn't know this. I've never literally been in Beirut during a war. I've never been on Mars. But that was the two, two examples that most people were saying yesterday. It feels like a war zone or it feels like being on a different planet. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. If you want to comment on the show, please do. You can drive me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com take a little bit of a break here we'll come back talk stock markets investing and some of the financial ramifications that could come from fire season Your comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Any other 
I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening. Anything you ever want to talk about, we can talk about. I'm turning a blood red sky from yesterday into a prolonged story this morning on finances. Let me give you a little bit more on some of my thoughts on this. First and foremost, I do think California wildfires affect the whole economy of the United States. We have a lot of agriculture here, whether it be wine. We've got a lot of pigs. We've got a lot of beef uh, for food. Um, our agriculture of, of fruits and vegetables supplies the whole nation. So when California is on fire, it's a problem. Now, fortunately, we don't grow fruits and vegetables in the forest, but obviously smoke is a very expensive thing to deal with. So California wildfires affect three primary things in your life, and it hurts your finances. It lowers your home's value because you, might, you likely are uh, allocated into a high-risk area. So someone's going to be like, well, I can own a home on the beach that has no fires for 10% less than you. That's how real estate's valued on risk levels. That's part of how it's valued. On top of it, insurers are retreating from the business, and that leaves California to cover the insurance cost and or come up with plans to do it better. So that typically means California becomes the state of or the, the insurer of last resort, and that's not good. That's like getting your health care from the government. It's not as good as getting it from a private company, but the private company is in it for profits. They give you better service when things are good. They tend to run away when things are bad. And the third way that this is going to create a financial crisis is through local governments and the municipal funding and the municipal bond market. Cities like, and I don't want to use Palo Alto because that's kind of an extreme positive city, right? Use a city like Stockton. So let's say there's a fire outside of Stockton and people are like, well, I'm going to close up business here. I can't afford to do this because, uh, you know, every couple of years there's a fire and it's, it's just not profitable for me. We got to shut down. And then you throw in the pandemic that we've been going through and states are struggling. But cities in particular, and they issue bonds and if they don't get the tourism coming in, if they don't have the high, okay, the city wants you to pay your property taxes on the higher home values. But due to fires, your home value is actually going lower due to fires and insurance costs. Sometimes people are saying, I just can't afford to live here anymore. I can't go to work. No one's going to let me go to work. Um, They default on their homes. And then suddenly the state and the city's coffers, treasure chest, um, suffer from lack of property tax revenue, sales uh, tax revenue and, and such. So it's interesting to note that the U.S. has to get serious about wildfires. Um, and I don't know if we can. I don't know if we have it in us. This year's California wildfire season's second most destructive in the state's history. Um, since 2017, fires have consumed more than 20 million acres of land and caused over $50 billion in economic losses. Now, $50 billion used to sound like a lot of money. But when we're doing uh, federal government bailouts of a trillion dollars here, a trillion dollars there, another trillion dollars, uh, airlines want another $50 billion, it kind of loses its number. 180,000 people have died in uh, the pandemic in the United States. And it's going to get the president into some hot water because he, a new book says he intentionally downplayed the risk. And he says, that's true. I did intentionally downplay the risk. And then 180,000 people died. We could have done an ounce of prevention and shut down the economy completely, buckled it down for one month, and a lot fewer people would have died. 
I've got a friend who traveled to Phoenix and brags about it. He probably has killed people. We're not serious as a nation about pandemics. Do you think we're going to be serious about wildfires? I don't think so. So much of the billions of dollars, and I've, I told you it's about $50 billion in damage and economic losses. A lot of it, of what we spend to prevent economic losses, is after the fact. It's estimated that $1 spent on fire prevention is estimated to save about $3 in costs. In January of this year, California's Governor Newsom proposed a $120 million initiative to hire more than 650 new staff. The idea is, let's go out earlier in the season, make it a year-round firefighting party, trim some areas, do some forest uh, prevention, forest maintenance, uh, do some controlled burns. I've been to Australia before, and I saw a controlled burn. I'm like, why why is this whole field on fire? I was like, ah, now I get it. It's to stop it from getting to the town. Um, It's controlled. Eh, We won't get into that. But at a time of trillion-dollar deficits in the United States, we're spending trillions just to keep our economy on life support. Spending more on uh, wildfire mitigation, I think it's called. It seems like a tall order, and I I just don't think we're going to do it. And sadly, the more we enact on it, the cost of inaction is far greater than the cost of, of... you know, after the fact cleanup. So think about that. I'm Rob Black running for governor of the state of California. I would never run for the state of California. I would never run for president. Uh, the only thing I would ever run for is mayor, because I think that's some, an area where you can actually change people's lives. But uh, I'm not going to get too political. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Let's change the topic to what's happening on Wall Street today. Um, I don't want to get too negative on the fire issue for you. Uh, Yesterday, it was news that McDonald's has a new meal. It's the first time in about 30 years that they've had a celebrity-endorsed meal. Travis Scott and his Cactus Jack music label officially launched their partnership with McDonald's to help sell the rapper's favorite meal. Um, Gimmicky, right? Gimmicky tends to work. Like I said, we're not a nation of, um, of, how shall we say, we don't take a lot seriously. So yesterday, we learned that um, Travis Scott's go-to order is a quarter pounder with cheese, bacon, and lettuce, as well as a medium fry and a barbecue sauce and a Sprite for $6. Woohoo! Now, doesn't that feel trivial in comparison to the images that we saw come out of California yesterday? We learned that the Xbox is going to be selling in two versions. That's considered controversial, and it may backfire on Microsoft. Um, I haven't looked completely at the specs to tell you the financial difference, if it's worth it or not. I know one of the things that will be in the lower entry-level Xbox is no Blu-ray DVD. So that one's going to sell for $299. It's complete digital. The other Xbox, called the Xbox Series X, is going to sell for $499. That is considered coming in at a very low price point. So it's your turn, Sony. Sony's not going to really make an announcement, it doesn't look like, until October. That doesn't sound right. Um, That's kind of... eh. Um, Pre-sales for the Xbox go on sale on September 22. One of the things I like to tell people is, if you want one, order one on September 22. Because if you wait till November, you're like, hey, I'm going to get my kid at Xbox Christmas. I'm going to be the best dad ever. You may sadly find yourself buying one on eBay for triple the price. 
Um, what's interesting about the Xbox announcements, and I didn't get into this yesterday. I want to get into it today because it is kind of interesting to me. They're offering a financing plan. Now, I thought it was interesting a couple of years ago when Apple said, we'll offer a financing plan. The, the, Apple's thrown a lot of financing plans at us, but one of them was if you pay like $1,000, we'll give you a new iPhone every year. So it's slightly discounted because they get the old one back. But you get a new iPhone every year. Then they came out with Apple Card that said, if you want a 0% loan and you want to finance your phone on your Apple Card, we'll do that for you. Um, so phones have become such a need in our life. I need, need, need that we've started financing them. You used to finance a house. You used to finance a car. In the bad times, you would finance layaways at, at Christmas. You would say, hey, I'm going to give my kid a, uh, a super sled this Christmas. And you didn't have the $100 for it. So you'd say, hey, can I get that super sled? And they said, sure, give us $10 a month for the next 10 months. Or $10 a month for the next 11 months. So they can make 10 extra dollars by financing it for you. So Microsoft is offering a financing plan on an Xbox. And it just, again, Wall Street loves subscriptions. Wall Street loves financing plans. It kind of locks you into the product. Um, so a financing plans on either console for 24 months. The Xbox Series S will cost $24.99 a month. While the Xbox Series X, the higher end one, will cost $34.99 a month. Now, what's interesting in this is the financing plans also include access to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and EA Play, which lets you download or stream 100 games to the Xbox or PC. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. Games aren't great. They're not the newest titles. But again, it's showing you we're trying to create value by getting you to finance. And again, we're a bunch of sheep as a nation, right? Why are we financing video game consoles? Do we need it that badly is the question. And I, I think some people do. Um, the Microsoft Series X is going to be four times more powerful than the current Xbox. It's going to include an eight-core AMD Zen 2 processor. It's the same core that's going to be in the Sony PlayStation 5. But the Xbox has a slightly better graphics card. So to me, it feels like Sony might be the loser here. Because Xbox seems to be beating them to the market. Unless Sony pulls a rabbit out of their hat at the last second. Uh, do we really need finance plans on video game consoles? It's a great question in my mind. I don't know if it's a great question in your mind. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Let's take a look at the stock market, shall we? And what I'm seeing here is an up a day. The S&P 500 is up 16. The Dow is up 116. The Nasdaq is up 103. Uh, of note, and I, I, I applaud this headline, Citibank is going to make history with its first female big bank CEO um, next year after current white male CEO retires. Little Peter Gabriel, red rain for obvious reasons. Acid rain doesn't seem like our problem right now, does it? We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm 
Rob Black talking all things financial. I went to take a picture of the orange sky yesterday, which if you go to Facebook, anyone who lives in California, all we've done is put up pictures of the sky and the Golden Gate Bridge and Oracle Park before a baseball game. It was surreal yesterday. What's funny is when I took a picture, my, my camera color corrected it to look gray. I'm like, oh, um, that's how good technology is now. So that's how good phones are. You can't even take a real picture. Uh, we live in a very fake alternative uh, reality. I'm not saying it's the Matrix, but it kind of is, right? Pumpkin spice is spicing up Starbucks traffic. I'm not a pumpkin spice guy. I don't get it. I'm not a $5 cup of coffee guy. Uh, the most expensive coffee I ever had cost $60 for a pot. It was what I refer to as lemur butt coffee, where a, a, a lemur, a monkey-like creature, eats the coffee bean um, and later poops it out. And someone has to have the horrible job of picking up monkey poop and cleaning it off and making, oh, that's that's good-tasting coffee. Who had that brilliant idea? I don't know, but it was worth every penny for it, a gallon of lemur butt coffee. True story, but I won't. I won't fall for Starbucks and go for the pumpkin spice latte. Um, Linus from Peanuts from Santa Rosa's Charles Schultz, who's dead. Jeannie Schultz still alive. Uh, that was an amazing brand he created, huh? You could still go to nurseries today and see licensed copies of Snoopy on walls. You can watch insurance commercials and still see Snoopy walking through and selling insurance. Um, but. Linus was all about the great pumpkin and how it rewarded children. Do you remember that wonderful childhood memory of watching uh, Snoopy, of watching Linus, of watching Charlie Brown getting rocks for Halloween? Halloween was canceled in L.A. this year. Was it the pandemic? Was it the fires? I don't even know. (laughs) It was probably the pandemic. Maybe I do know. But it's early September, and Starbucks is like, we need more traffic. Let's do this pumpkin spice latte again. So it's out there. I think Starbucks is a great long-term investment. And to me, Starbucks is a great play on the reopening of, of an economy. Uh, when people are allowed to go back to work at their museums, when people are allowed to go back to work at their TV stations, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to say, hey, Joe, I missed you in the last six months. How you been? Did you get the COVID? And he's like, oh, let's go for a cup of coffee and talk about it. So it's a reopening play. But on top of that, it's an alternative play that they've done pretty well during the pandemic of serving customers. I was at a Starbucks drive through recently and uh, the kids had breakfast. And as a parent, you feel like it's slightly better breakfast than McDonald's. So a company that was known for coffee has come into a company also known for breakfast and for lunch sandwiches and for Starbucks has started opening up beer and wine stations. Um, I don't know their plan for getting into every store, but that creates a crowd, twenty not 24-7, but all through the day. Um, so I think the company is a pandemic play, uh, a reopening play, if you will. Pumpkin Spice is hitting the bright orange spot for people. It's a ubiquitous fall flavor that people it reminds them of thanksgiving now that brings up the question what are we gonna be doing for thanksgiving this year are we gonna be traveling i don't know did you see the nfl starts tonight and um some games this weekend kansas city's playing a real big game kansas city's selling seats to their games and no one's buying them 
their plan is to something like let 20% of the crowd in. Um, if you want to buy a suite, they'll, they'll mail you a COVID kit and, uh, you know, you could party with friends, but if any of your friends get COVID and the, the, the testing kit fails, they're not allowed in that kind of things going on. You can go to a, a Kansas city, they're super bowl champions and they can't sell tickets at face value. We'll see how it turns out in the weekend. Maybe a lot of people will be last second, but as we open back up, some people just don't even want to travel. They don't want to go to football games. Um, so the Starbucks latte or the COVID-19 closures and trying to get people back with an earlier placement of a fall favorite, uh, it shows you the retail urgency. It shows you the brand equity that they have with their clientele. So consider Starbucks. Consult a broker advisor before taking stock any action, any stocks ever mentioned on the show. I would only own Starbucks myself if I was going to own it for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Um, in the past, I tried to outsmart it. I owned Pete's Coffee. I made a ton of money on Pete's Coffee until they went private. At times in the past, I tried to own Caribou Coffee because I, I didn't want to own the snobby Starbucks. Now, Caribou Coffee, I didn't figure it out until I already lost some money in it. Caribou Coffee had these lodges that you would go into, not a coffee shop with 10 tables, but a coffee shop that had moose heads and fireplaces and skis on the wall. And that's a little bit more expensive to create that ambiance than, say, a Starbucks, which is a little bit more sterile, right? So they didn't do terribly well for me. There was times I made money. There was times I lost money. I don't think I lost that much on it, but that was so many years ago. And look who's still standing. The champion, Rocky Balboa, Starbucks. I rewatched Rocky during COVID. Um, pretty good movie pretty good movie uh, what's really odd about it is stallone's just not that believable and um, not a good looking dude to think that he could write and direct that unbelievable talent i didn't see it coming what a plus for the city of philadelphia rocky three my favorite with mr t rocky four with drago reinforced the united states hates russia uh creed what an amazing uh, first movie and second movie. Those were both good movies uh, for airplanes. I don't go to movie theaters anymore, not because of COVID, but because I just don't like crowds. Uh, I'm kind of that guy. And uh, good franchise, no doubt. And again, it shows you how Hollywood's working. To get you into movie theaters, it has to be a franchise now. It can be nothing less. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 516-800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, ECB has stayed put on raising rates despite record low inflation and the euro heating up. It's going to be interesting to see who raises interest rates first, the U.S. or the ECB. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Why do you-